This morning we continue our study in Mark. Jesus calls his seventh disciple Levi. Jesus demonstrates his love for all people, especially to those who know they need to be rescued. The sick need a doctor. Jesus came to save sinners. Hear the word of the Lord as it is found in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I invite you to follow along in your bulletins or on the screens or on your phones as, we, as I read the passage aloud. Hear the word of the Lord. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now I invite you in the responsive reading that's on our screens. All flesh is grass and all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good morning, church. I add my greetings to those that you have already heard. If your Bible or phone is already open, uh, please stay with me in Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to dwell in that passage as we continue to worship the Lord this morning. We're also going to look at a few other passages, so make sure that you are, your fingers are sticky and you're awake. All right? Uh, this, we're going to continue our series in Mark. And last week, just by way of reminder, we saw that the miracle of the healing of the paralytic, uh, it actually authenticated the messenger who is Jesus and the message that he proclaimed. That is, Jesus was and is God, and he has authority to forgive sins. And today, as we study the calling of Levi, the tax collector, and the fellowship that Jesus has with his friends, we see the emphatic repetition of this same theme. Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And he wants to forgive, to invite you to follow, and to have fellowship with you. Powerfully, this passage reveals that the love of Christ is so outside of the bounds of what we're used to that it invites people to belong into fellowship with him even before they believe. And Jesus calls outside sinners to follow him and to have fellowship. It's people like you, people like me, people like us who miss the mark of God's holiness. Those of us who walk outside the lines of God's design. People like us who do not meet the standard of perfection that God requires. And people like me and you who embrace other loves from our hearts, what the Bible calls idolatry. And this narrative invites us individually to repent as sinners, to follow Jesus, but it also challenges us culturally. 
If you look in your passage in verses 16 and 17, this this word sinner is repeated twice, once by the Pharisees who are judging Jesus and then once by Jesus himself when he makes clear the purpose of his mission. The word sinner here is a cultural category. That is those who did not meet the Pharisaical standard. Their interpretation of following the law perfectly, but not only that, the fences that they put around even fences of the law, the laws upon laws that included things like washing your hands, well, who thought, and other Sabbath regulations, interpretations. Sinners was a category for Pharisees and religious folks that was us versus them. It's where the self-righteous would look down at those who did not religiously observe the standards that they had and literally saw them as rubble or refuge in society. This large category created an outsider group, people who were considered unclean, people who were considered unworthy, people who were considered unwelcome into anything having to do with God. But this passage highlights how God himself, Jesus, welcomes everyone in relationship with him. Not only that, he fellowships with those who are outsiders, inviting them to belong into that community, even before they might believe, even hated tax collectors. You see, the invitation of Jesus to follow and to fellowship with him, it reveals the depths of God's love and it challenges us as a church, big C and little c church, to love all people. Too often, we settle for an insider mentality where we're self-righteously looking down on people we don't think are as good as we are. But the grace and the love of Jesus is gonna awaken us this morning so that we might love the world the way that he did, the world that he came to die for. So before we study the word of the Lord, will you go to the Lord of the word with me and ask for his blessing on our worship? Father, we thank you for your word and we come with heavy hearts, knowing, Lord, we are not worthy, knowing, Lord, that we have missed the mark, knowing, Lord, that we've lived outside of your design for life and love. But Lord, we come with heavy hearts, receiving your forgiveness, realizing we're unworthy of receiving your unconditional love. And as we sit under the authority of your word, Lord, we ask that you would move the distractions of our hearts, that you'd fill us with your spirit, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive, Lord. I pray for those that are outsiders to be welcomed in to your love. And Lord, those of us who are religious and pharisaical, self-righteous idolaters, that you would teach us that your love bursts all the barriers that we so comfortably find ourselves in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that we see, the the note should be on the screen here, uh, is that Jesus calls, follow me. This is where he starts. He went outside again. He was beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi sitting at his tax booth and he said to Levi, follow me. And Levi rose and he followed him. You see, 
This is fascinating on many levels, not least of which is that Levi was a tax collector. And as sinners were religious outsiders to uh, those that were Pharisees, so tax collectors were cultural outsiders to just about everybody. They were extortionists. And they were considered traitors to the Jews and to the nation of Israel because they exploited their own people for personal profit. They took taxes and gave Rome profit, but they lined their pockets in the process. In Luke 5, they're called publicans because they publicly and unashamedly gathered revenue on imports and exports and made themselves rich off whoever they wanted. And they were hated. Jesus was teaching by the sea and and, and Levi was in his tax booth. This is in Capernaum, one of three different tax collecting hubs for the Roman Empire. One was in Caesarea. This one's in Capernaum. And the other one was in Jericho, where you might remember another famous tax collector that Jesus fellowshiped with. That would be Zacchaeus. This one specifically is located in what was called the Great West Road. It ran from Damascus down to the Mediterranean, collecting taxes on imports and exports going from Syria all the way down to Egypt. Jesus called hated tax collector Levi to follow him. It's amazing. Levi would follow him and the grace of Jesus would transform his heart and his life and he would eventually move from being a cultural outsider to being a kingdom insider. And Jesus would change his name to Matthew and he wrote the gospel of Matthew that begins our New Testament. It's unbelievable that when Jesus encounters tax collectors, it highlights the amazing love of God The focus of today's narrative is found in verse 17. Look down with me. It says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. And Jesus says basically the same thing in Luke 19 when he is eating at Zacchaeus' house. When everyone is looking down upon him and all of his company with snobbery, and religious elitism. And Jesus says at that place, I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. Excuse me, that's what he said here. (laughs) What he said in Luke 19 is that I have come, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And Jesus calls people to follow him, imperfect people, sinners, social outcasts and religious outcasts, He's been calling people since Luke, I mean, since Mark chapter 1, verses 15 and 19, where he called cultural outsiders fishermen, unschooled, ordinary men who decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus calls the outsider the lost, the, the straying. He calls the beggars the burden, the hungry, the thirsties. He calls the sinners, the weak, the weary. He calls us to come to him for salvation and forgiveness of sins. This is a category, that, uh, a reality that we celebrate as a congregation. But this is who we are, creating a place for love for those that are outsiders. This, this week, uh, we uh, helped host a gathering of, of 50 churches and leaders to come together in San Antonio to care for some of the most outcasts in our society. 
You may or may not know it, but our city sits in the middle of a foster and adopt crisis. We have over 800 children that are sleeping in offices of social workers because there's no families to take them in. And many families who have taken in foster kids, they are simply struggling. And while children are sleeping in social worker offices, in many cases, the church is asleep in the faith face of this crisis. In our congregation, we invite you to join us in this prayer. We're praying for 10 families for, to join foster families in our congregation who will say yes to show the love of Christ and welcoming those who are so outside of our city and our society that they're lost. They're invisible, but not to God. We're praying for 10 families. But this lunch that we helped host this week was to challenge leaders and churches that we would wake up and really embody the love that Christ has shown to us. And one woman who presented said something that really grabbed me. She challenged us and she said, drowning people cannot save drowning people. The church at this time must step up and show the love of God, rescue, rescuing children and supporting families who seek to do so. Drowning people cannot rescue drowning people. The plea for the church to strategically step up and show love in a part of our society that captures the core of outsider and insider. That we would open our hearts, our hands, and our homes to people that are so far outside, they're invisible to society. This is who we are. This is who we have been throughout our history. It was 1872 when we welcomed a pastor who was named John W. Neal. And I'm not sure if we have a, a picture of him up here. I was kind of hoping we did because he had a scraggly beard that would have been inviting to everybody. But our old Adobe history book describes John Neal this way. He said, it says that San Antonio was a wicked city, but John Neal knew that Jesus came to save sinners and not righteous. Neil was described as a friend of the poor, friend of the afflicted, and a friend of the needy. Neil was a friend to the gambler and to the desperado, many of whom died outside the congregation of our Lord. And it was Pastor Neil who in 1872 was not okay with this, where he reached to who were social, religious outsiders, sinners, to show them their love that they might be invited inside the family of God. This is who we are. Not because we are a First Presbyterian Church family, which we are, but because we are a part of the family of God. And the grace of God is shown through Christ. And it welcomes all of us who are outside sinners to come into his family. I, I'm reminded of, of this power by this, from this book I've been reading called Befriend. It's by Scott Sauls, who's a Presbyterian pastor, PCA, in Nashville, Tennessee. I want to recommend it to all of you. But it reminds us, this is who we are. We all come from this same place of neediness. Orphans, because of our sin, welcomed into the family of God. Sinners, no better than any gambler or desperado who have come into the grace of God, the love of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We're drowning people who need to be saved. And here's what Saul says in his book. 
Jesus came to call everyone, conservatives and liberals, affluent and bankrupt, happy and depressed, those with PhDs and those with special needs. Jesus came to call the healthy and the addicted, those on the move and those tired, secular and religious, approachable and angry at the universe. Jesus called them all to join the sacred communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not as bastards, but beloved daughters and sons, not as prostitutes, but as his cherished queen. That's the bride of Christ. What a beautiful picture that puts all of us on equal ground, needing God's grace. Is it hard to believe that Jesus calls sinners to follow him? I know. I'm going to tell you something. We're very encouraged by how the Spirit is grabbing people's hearts in worship, how the Word of God is, is really bringing effect into the hearts of the people of God. In, in two separate quotes uh, that I lead into this next point from the last two weeks of the sermon, I just want to highlight this. One quote is a man who heard last week's sermon and said, is it true that God can forgive any sin from my past? I just have trouble believing that. Oh, yes, Jesus is God. He forgives sins. That was his mission. He didn't come to call the righteous. Sinners he came to call. Another quote, someone said, does God really want to welcome me even after the lifestyle I've lived has made me an outsider to the church? Yes. The answer is not only does God want to welcome you, but he wants to fellowship with you. And that's exactly the next point that we see in our passage. Not only does Jesus call, follow me, but Jesus calls, fellowship with me. <laughs> he goes into Levi's house and he's hanging out with all kinds of outsiders, cultural outsiders, religious outsiders, tax collectors, and sinners. <laughs> he's got to be crazy. Now, Let's back up a little bit and reestablish a secure identity that we have in Christ so that we can understand the opportunity that we have in living and loving for Christ. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago when we talked about taking up our cross and following Jesus, that at the core, that was a contrast between a kingdom identity and a cultural identity. A cultural identity wants to tell you this, that your desires, what you really want, that will feed who you really are. That is, you become your identity, that which you worship. And the image we used for that was the, the pitcher plant, this carnivorous plant that has a sweet, sweet offering that flies will come down onto and it tastes so good, but it eventually leads to the pitcher trap where they die. And this identity that, that is based upon our desires, that which we want, it, it tastes sweet, but in the end it's unstable and leads to death. But contrast that to the kingdom. The kingdom gives us a secure identity, a new identity in Christ. We're born again, and we order our desires from who we become in Christ. And to take up our cross, then, is to kill all desires that are contrary to the identity we have as children of the king. And we live accordingly, and we take up our cross at, at whatever cost it is to kill those desires. Now, that is true individually, but it is also true socially. Who in the right mind is going to love the way Jesus loved and hang out with cultural and religious outcasts? Answer, people 
who know they have a secure identity as children of the king. That their identity is not based on their desire to be socially accepted, their desire for, to be popular, to have their kids be popular. Their identity is not based on, on needing to network so that they can advance in their vocation or have the coolest people like them, but a secure identity in Christ so that we can share the love that comes from Christ, just as he loved us. And it, it, all through the Gospels, this is true. In Luke 7, 34, Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, it's clearly stated, Jesus is a friend, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, a rabbi hanging out with those who were considered unclean, a leader who lingered with lost. You see, as Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners, the scribes and the Pharisees saw it, verse 16, and they leaned into his disciples just to try to prick that insecurity. Why is it that Jesus, your rabbi, is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know these people are unclean? Who does he want to lead with this kind of rabble? Is he even worth following? Jesus knew that they were trying to prick his disciples' insecurity and immediately came to the rescue. He heard it and he said to them, verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is amazing love that Jesus sits with the sick and he's not worried about being contaminated. Jesus is present with patience. Those who need spiritual healing. Jesus doesn't reject the broken, but he embraces them to bind them up. And not all these people in the house believed, but they certainly belonged in Jesus' presence, loving them even before they believed. Isn't it astounding in a time of social distancing that we can note that Jesus doesn't remain socially distant from those that are social and religious outcast? That Jesus welcomes fellowship with who the religious people consider refuge. <laughs> this isn't just true for this passage. This is no Jesus' normal MO. Think about the woman at the well, social and religious outcast, a sinner, Samaritan. Jesus spent time with her. The disciples, they didn't even understand it. Think about the woman that was caught in adultery in John chapter 11. Think about Jesus and Zacchaeus. We could go on and on. You see, there's at least two takeaways for us from these two points. First is, this is the clear message of Scripture. All of us are sinners. All of us need forgiveness. Oh, Jesus came to love us. None of us are righteous. Not one of us. And I want to read to you one of my favorite, I have hundreds of favorite places that this is in Scripture. But one of them, at least, comes from Romans chapter 3, 10 to 12 and 21 to 26. This is what Paul writes to the Roman church. As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. 
all have turned aside, and together we become worthless. No one does good, not even one. <laughs> I guess there's no ground for religious snobbery in that, huh? There's no room for religious elitism. Look at the verses 21 and 26. Oh. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The law of the prophets bear witness to it that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed. For there's no distinction. For all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he's passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at this present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. The clear message of Scripture. Jesus welcomes sinners. And all of us are on equal ground. Not only do we need grace, but when we experience, we have the opportunity to show grace. This is a clear moment for the church. That this is an invitation for everyone. Will we continue to be who we are to show the love of Christ and even lounge with sinners, those that we consider politically incorrect? Will we seek to unify with love in our polarizing culture, even people that we think are not patriots like tax collectors and sinners? Will we kill our desire to be more socially promoted so that we can advance the kingdom and promote the kingdom by being with people who don't know Jesus? This is a clear moment for the church. Everyone is invited to come to Jesus. Will we show it? How will we do that? From evangelism. I'm fascinated with this. So many of us are intimidated by what it means to share the gospel with people. So many of us say, well, we're not equipped. Uh, we, we, in our 1102 service two weeks ago, we, we had a testimony on church planning, and, and Chuck Bunn started with a question, how many of y'all have a gift of evangelism? <laughs> a couple of people raised their hand, but most people were like, no, 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 I can't even spell it, not going to do it, right? But this is so accessible, an amazing opportunity. You see what Jesus does? He starts with the one, one person, Levi, one man, Levi, the same way he did it in John 4 with the woman at the well, one woman, the woman at the well, showing love, sharing the gospel. You see what he does? It's from evangelism. It's not about memorizing four steps on the Roman road. It's not about learning some gimmick in, in, in some way. It's about showing love following Levi to his house and, and partying with sinners, outsiders socially, like tax collectors, outsiders religiously, sinners. He's just there and loving sinners as if they're family, showing them that they belong even before they believe. You see how accessible it is? I'm only challenging you, church, to find one friend just one person and love the hell out of them so that they will come to know Jesus and that they'll live for heaven on this earth 
and they'll invite you to their house. And when you're hanging out with a lot of cultural and religious outsiders, love them like family. Show them that the love of God breaks all cultural boundaries, all social boundaries. It covers all shame. It forgives all sins. It gives life where there's death. It gives hope where there's despair. Love them, church. Love them in the name of Jesus. And when we follow the one to the many, we'll watch the gospel grab hearts and know that grace is the ground that we stand on. And we will rise with all the saints around the world and throughout all time from every tribe, every tongue, every nation with no cultural, socioeconomic distinction and cry out and proclaim salvation belongs to our God, to the lamb who was slain and sits on the throne. Jesus, our king, the savior of the world. He calls sinners, social and religious outcasts to follow him and he fellowships with them because he didn't come. He didn't come to the well because it's the sick who need a doctor, the drowning who need to be rescued. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We praise you for your love. We Rejoice that you are king over us. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts. You'd remove all the religious and cultural idols. And you would help us to experience freshly your deep love. Lord, I pray for those in this room that join me in having trouble believing this message. You really do forgive sins. And you really do welcome those who even the church is called outsiders inside. Lord, we believe, but will you help us with our unbelief? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.